I remember my senior year of college, man, I, um, maybe you weren't grasping the, the, the gravity of the song that the worship team just played. I remember my senior year of college, and I was sitting there, and I had this uh, thousands and thousands of dollars of debt on my account. And, and it was to the point that they wouldn't even let me register for classes anymore because my bill was so high. But one of the, yeah, yeah, I, they, I had to go get special permission every semester because my debt kept growing and growing and growing on my account. But one of my jobs, I had four jobs in college, and one of my jobs in college was I was a tutor um, of math and science. And the, the guy that was over finances for the college, his son was trying to start school again. And his son was having a major problem with math. Math was his hardest uh, subject to grasp, but I had been kind of gathered this this reputation on the campus as being the best math tutor for the particular class that his son had to take. And so he called me in one day and he said that, hey, um, my son is starting back and I want my son to succeed and I want you to tutor him. And I said, yes, of course I can do that. And he said, I was told that you had um, some issues on the financial matters. He said, well, let's sit down and, and, and take a look at your account. And I didn't know what was going on. And so I sat down with him and he, he looked at my account and he said, well, I can take this off and I can take this off and I can take this off and I can take this off. And I sat there and I went from over $14,000 in debt to walking out having to write a $20 check. <laughs> See, some of you don't understand when we sing Praise the one who paid our debt and raised our life up from the dead. I had debt and there was nothing I could do to pay it, but God had put someone there. Come on. That ain't, that ain't what I was supposed to be talking about this morning. But good morning and welcome to Fellowship High Crest. Thank you, guys, for being here. Um, as I speak this morning, you will see some page numbers on the screen, and those page numbers will relate to the blue Bibles that are in your seat. And so they will correspond to those Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible of your own, take that one as our gift to you. If you don't have one that's easy to read in words that you understand, take that one as our gift to you. Um, if you know someone um, that doesn't have a Bible, take that one and give it to them as a gift from the both of us. Today is Palm Sunday and Easter is coming. The grocery stores will soon be a madhouse. There will only be two checkout lines open for the rest of the week. The person with all the coupons are waiting to see which checkout line you're going to choose just so they can get in front of you. You'll be bumped by six unattended kids playing with shopping carts. Today is Palm Sunday and Easter is coming. Your neighbors won't bother to ask their company to leave a parking spot for you. If at any time throughout the whole year it'll be while you're visiting family that your um, sink in your guest bathroom becomes envious of your kitchen sink and instead of holding water, it'll decide it wants to spray water like your kitchen sink. Today is Palm Sunday and Easter is coming. You'll spend hours 
trying to hide the gas you have from that person's bad potato salad (laughs) and hope that you don't have to put it in the same sack as your good leftovers. You hear the same stories that you've heard every year and have to act as if you've never heard them before. You spend hours in conversation only speaking six sentences that go deeper than, what do you think about this water that we're getting? And how about those Jayhawks? And did you hear that the Chiefs got rid of Alex Smith? You have some uppity relative spend time telling you about how much better your life is, I mean, their life is than yours and give you a list of things that you need to work on. You have people ask you questions like, are you ever going to get married? And what are you doing to scare off the opposite sex? And are you ever going to give me grandkids? Today is Palm Sunday. And a celebration of our resurrected Savior is not the only thing that's coming. So govern yourselves accordingly. You know, I wrote that as humor, but you know what they say, right? Every joke has a little bit of truth in it. Every joke has a little bit of truth in it, you know, and as I think back before I was married, I only probably had one holiday that didn't turn into a holiday. You know what I mean, right? A holiday, somebody gets mad, right? Somebody gets into an argument and leaves. Somebody in the family gives another person in the family the stink eye and only speaks in third person. You know, I have a feeling that all of us have had some holidays that have turned into holidays in our lifetime. You know, once I came across this article uh, when I was scrolling on social media that spoke about 10 ways in which you're making your life harder than it has to be, and I thought it was going to teach me this new way of peeling mangoes or something like that. But when I opened it up, each of the 10 ways actually related to how we act in relation to one another. Hmm. The holidays are supposed to be this peaceful, restful, joyful thing, but one of the things that makes them so hard is the way we relate to one another. But here's the question. Are the holidays hard because that's just the way they have to be? Or do we make them harder than they have to be because of the way we relate to, the way we relate to one another? And if that's the case, then how do we begin to bring healing about in our relationships so that we have more holidays than holidays? How do we start? This morning, we'll be continuing our series through the first four chapters of the book of Genesis. And it's entitled, Starting Where to Begin When Life Happens. And we'll spend time looking at the third chapter of Genesis this morning. Genesis was written by Moses to the Israelites after they had just spent 480 years in slavery serving pagan gods. And now they were supposed to be this new united group of people who that collectively represented the triune God and displayed his love for all of creation. If this was going to be the case, then they would need a lot of direction when it came to healing relational issues that arose along the way. This morning, as we view the scriptures found in Genesis 3, we'll view how correcting the story starts the process of healing our relationships and that open and honest confession limits the damage caused during those tough times. If you remember from last week, I mentioned the fact that during this time, all these stories were passed through oral tradition or through story. So as Moses wrote these stories and relayed these stories to the Israelites, these would be the first stories that they would learn about the God who had freedom from slavery, the God who was providing for them now, and the God who had promised them a future. 
These would be the first stories that they would share with future generations about that very same God. These stories would have tremendous impact on their lives as they would help them understand how God relates to all of his creation. They will also have tremendous impact on their lives because it would help them understand how they were supposed to relate to God. And these stories would have even more impact in that they would help them understand how they were supposed to relate to the world around them. You know, the same is true for us today. In fact, what causes us so many problems in our relationship is that we don't understand the power of story in our lives. We often forget the power of story when it comes to how we relate to one another. So let's, let's see. Now, I wish somebody would have taught Adam and Eve this, but let's see how this same thing plays out in Adam and Eve's family. There it starts in our focal passage. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that God, the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat from it or touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. She took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife uh, heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. This is God's word. You know, in the class Crucial Conversations, a, a class where they teach skills on how to better handle conversations when the stakes are high, they teach that what often leads us down the wrong road when it comes to how we relate to one another is the story we tell ourselves about the facts of the situation. They say it's not actually really the facts of what occurred. It's the story we tell ourselves about those facts. And they say that if we can keep our story to the things that are facts, that that is more than half of the battle in handling conflict well. I wish somebody would have taught Adam and Eve this because it would have saved all of us a lot of trouble. I know Adam was a prototypical male, but, man, when I catch him in glory, I'm going to, man, we're going to have a bow. <laughs> so if we can learn a couple of things and mistakes that we make in the heat of the moment from their story, and here's just a, a couple of things that we can learn that will move us from holler to holly when it comes to the holidays. The first is um, the first temptation we have when we are engaged in conflict is that we add incorrect uh, information to the story. So, so there are a couple of reasons we do this. We, you know, we fuzz the story for a couple of different reasons. The first one is, you know, if the story is already strong, sometimes we think that if we add a little bit to it, that it will become overwhelming if we add a little spice to it. And then sometimes when the story, the facts of the story are a little weak, we think if we, it can become more convincing if we add just a little bit of sparkle to what we're saying. See, but, but here's the deal, right? Eve added to her story for dramatic effect. 
if we compare Genesis 2, 16 through 17, where it says this, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. What we see is instead of reinforcing her argument, Eve weakened her argument. See, the Israelites needed to know the story, be able to share the story, and to strive to live the story and how they related to one another. God didn't need the Israelites to be a staff of writers. He needed them to be a group of actors, a cast of actors. That's what God needed them to be. When we fuzz the details around our arguments, it only causes our opponents to dig in their heels. It never leads to healing, and it shows a lack of integrity and a lack of love. God's perfect word both heals and expresses love, and it doesn't need our help. The second temptation we have when we're engaged in conflict is we add intent to our story. The serpent got Eve to add intent to her story. In verse 5 of chapter 3, we see how the serpent got Eve to believe that God gave Adam and Eve the instructions he did because he wanted to keep the best for himself. Eve's incorrect addition to the story caused her to think that God was holding back on her. What we could see, what she couldn't see, that even in the way that he had formed her and made her, that God had given her everything. He gave her his image in Genesis 1.26. He gave her his blessing in Genesis 1.28. He gave her his possessions in Genesis 1.29. He gave her his rest and peace in Genesis 1.31. He gave her companionship and community in Genesis 2.18 through 19. He gave her his authority in Genesis 2.20. He gave her his time in Genesis 3.8. And beyond that, he gave her himself. Incorrect additions to our stories are one danger. Another is an incorrect view of the effects of our stories. In verses 6 through 8 of chapter 3, it shows us a couple of things we can learn about the way we view the effects of our stories. You know, often when in conflict, we view life from the narrow, short perspective versus the long and wide perspective. When I say narrow, I mean we view the effects of conflict by how it affects us. In verse 6, we saw that, that, that Eve made her decision, and she saw that her decision would provide her food, was a delight for her eyes, and would make her wise. When I say short, when in the heat of conflict, we view the effects of conflict by the immediate impact only. She didn't immediately die, so she also gave some to share. What she didn't realize is that because of her actions, no man and no woman would ever enjoy the same uh, transparency and candidness and intimacy that, that she had. And because of that, that, that their most vulnerable parts would now be covered by poorly designed cover-ups that will fall apart and in the end leave them even more ashamed and embarrassed than before. You know that's why we wear clothes, right? When the scriptures say that they were both naked and unashamed, it wasn't this perverted thing. What this was about was, it was saying that they were open and honest and buried their even most intimate, their most trashy and messed up parts of their lives with each other. And they didn't see the propensity in the other person to take advantage of that. When I was looking for a wife, I wanted somebody who I could show the dirtiest trash in my life to, and they would still accept me for it. 
what the scriptures is talking about is that was what Adam and Eve had before the fall. And man and woman has never been the same again. And so now we wear clothes because we're afraid that if we show our most tender parts to somebody else, that they're going to take advantage of us. She didn't see that in her narrow, short view. But God's view when it comes to the effects of relational turmoil is wide and long. When I say uh, wide, I mean God's view. God views the total fallout of our conflict in the relational rifts. Eve's actions validated the serpent's words over God's words. She cannot see, because of her narrow, short view, all that it would do and the effect it would have on her family. God said the tree was bad because he could see the collateral damage to all of creation. But here's the question. Often we make choices because we can deal with the consequences. But can all of our loved ones, family members, and friends deal with the consequences of our decisions, of our choices? See, when we start asking ourselves that question, then we're ready for healing to take place in our relationship. Then we start making healing decisions. It will cause us to approach situations differently. When I say long, I mean God views the lasting effects of relational rifts. Yes, they would die, but now death would be an option for everything and everyone. How long are you willing to have those that you love deal with the consequences of your decisions in a matter? How long? So that's a different question, right? That's a long view question. How is God's long and wide view seen in the person of Jesus Christ? Well, at any point while Jesus was doing his thing, right, he could have called the whole thing off. But because of his long and wide view of the consequences of that decision, he chose the solution that was hardest in the short term that was the least favorable in the short term. Why was having a long and wide view important for the Israelites? Well, they were God's chosen people, and they were supposed to be a blessing to all the other people on the face of the earth. Why? Because they would introduce all of creation to its maker, and through their obedience, they would learn about his love and how his love was meant for everyone else, and they would be what he would use to woo all of creation to himself. Have you ever thought that God has put you in the lives of your friends, your family members, your co-workers, your classmates in order to woo them to him? And how would they do this? How would they woo creation to him? By being replicators of his love. How is God's long and wide view apparent in your life? Are you, are you understanding that? Correcting and mastering the stories we tell ourselves allows us to see the role we played in the relational rifts that exist in our lives. Seeing our own sinful part in the situation that has caused a breaking relationship will also expose the unconfessed sin in our lives regarding that situation. And if we are truly ready for healing to take place in those broken relationships, then it begins with confession. See, I have two friends who have been married for over 20 years. Both uh, were in a marriage and divorced before entering into this relationship that they're in now. Both went through um, divorce care counseling to help them get 
emotionally and spiritually healthy enough to be in another relationship. And they both said this is something that they learned while going through their divorce care counseling. They learned that no divorce is ever the fault of totally just one person. That both people played some role to some extent in that divorce coming about. Wow. You, you know, you might think that that's simple, but you would be surprised at how often we go through a conflict and think that it's totally the other person's fault, that we had no role in it at all. When we can get to the point of seeing our sin in the situation in a matter, then we're ready for healing to take place. But as long as we are unwilling to confess our sin when there's a break in relationship, then there can be no healing take place. And here's a couple of reasons that are why that, that's the case. The first is unconfessed sin always turns something that's supposed to be restful into something that's stressful. Let's look at Adam's response as a test case to this principle. In verses 8 through 10, where it says, when the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. You know, as when I was single, the, the, it always seemed when I was in the restroom was when somebody would knock at the door, right? You hated that, the fact that somebody might knock on the door when you're naked and afraid. <laughs> but here you see, you see the first man had two things. He had a job and he had a relationship with God. When I'm talking with my female friends, I tell them that the man you get with needs to have the same two things. He needs to have a job, and he needs to have a relationship with God. But I digress. I'll get off that soapbox. After God gave man a job, man didn't immediately go to work, though. What you see is he rested. And then on the eighth day, when man started work, he started work from a place of rest. So each day he would go to work, and in the evenings he would come home, and he would rest in his relationship with God. So, so, so his time with God was supposed to be this restful, peaceful thing that rejuvenated him. And now because of the unconfessed sin in his life, what should have been restful and rejuvenating had turned into this stressful thing. And see, you know, we have never recovered. Most of us are so tired because we are trying to find rest from our work instead of working from a place of rest. And one of the reasons we find it so hard to spend consistent time in God's word is there's no way that you can spend consistent time in God's word and not be confronted with the sin in our lives. And the sin in our lives does not willingly expose itself or want to be exposed. The second reason there can be no healing as long as there's unconfessed sin in our lives is that unconfessed sin always leads to a break in relationship. The unconfessed sin in Adam's life led to a break in his relationship with God. It led to a break in his relationship with his spouse, with his family, with his work, and the way he did life with all the creation around him. There was a break in relationship. God needed the Israelites to learn this early. There are going to be things that happen. There's going to be times when you're not at your best. But don't compile or make it worse 
by trying to cover up the mistake. If you know anything about more scripture, then if you look at the story of David, one of the principles that comes out is this. The cover up is always worse than the sin. He said, hey, I'm the same God who loves you, who feeds you, who protects you, who frees you from slavery. You know, the same is true for us. In the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, it says that those of us who are believers have access to the throne of grace and mercy. Let us not bypass grace and mercy for deceit and blaming. And yes, that is what this passage teaches. The opposite of confession is blaming. The unconfessed sin in our lives will cause us to blame those close to us. It will cause us to blame the situation. And ultimately, it will cause us to blame God, all of which have their root in some unconfessed sin that we carry. Unconfessed sin is the oldest pyramid scheme known to mankind. I mean, when you look at it, in the classic pyramid scheme, participants attempt to make money solely by recruiting new participants into the program. The hallmark of these programs is the sky-high rate of return they're supposed to offer simply by handing your money over to somebody and getting others to hand over their money. That is exactly how unconfessed sin works. Satan tells us that hiding our sin will give us a high rate of return in saving face and keeping our pride and continuing to enjoy the momentary pleasure that we are because of the unconfessed sin that we carry. But the unconfessed sin multiplies far faster, far more rapidly than we could ever imagine because it pulls in far more of our world than we could ever imagine. And the faulty system simply can't provide the results that it promised. That's what collapses the whole scheme. The system of blame and deceit that Satan offers simply can't provide the results that it promises. The third reason there can be no healing with no confession is that Unconfessed sin often leads to an abuse of power. Now, everything and everyone in all the creation belongs to God. When it came to the earth and the heavens, who named them? God. When it came to day and night, who named them? When it came to land and air, who named them? Why? Because naming has always been a ruling function. The reason that parents get to name their kids, it's a show of their authority over their kids. But get this, we can't miss this. God named the Israelites as his people. Jesus calls us his sheep. Jesus has authority over our lives. But in Genesis 2, God brings all the animals by Adam and allows him to name them. Why? Because in his grace, he wanted to show Adam the intentions he had for his life. Adam was going to be a representative of creation, of of God, for all of creation to see. If you know about some of the children's stories you learn, you know the story about the three Hebrew boys. And they were supposed to bow before this statue that represented the king on earth. Well, that's what man was supposed to be for God. When all the creation saw man, they were supposed to see the triune God that existed, that created, that spoke this world into existence. That's what was supposed to happen. 
the Israelites needed to understand that collectively as a people, God was going to allow them to exercise some of his power and authority here on earth so that other nations wouldn't look to them, but that they would see God. But they needed to be wise about it and not make the same mistake that we're about to see Adam make in regards to Eve. What did he do? Adam took Eve, who was supposed to rule with him. Adam took Eve, who was supposed to rule with him. Adam took Eve, who was supposed to rule with him, and treated her the same way he treated the animals that he was supposed to rule over. He named her. It's one of the saddest stories in Scripture. And then he gave a cute response for why he did it. What he was really saying is, God, you couldn't control this woman you gave me, so I'm going to control her by naming her and asserting my authority over her like I did the animals. And the battle has never ended. Sad. But here's the deal. The breaking relationship with God that is caused by unconfessed sin causes an internal struggle that makes us feel like the very essence of who we are is coming unraveled. The, the reason for that is because Separation from God is biblically the definition of death. As we seek to hold on to life and to regain what sin has caused at all costs, you know, we become more domineering and abusive in our relationships. And the crazy thing is, the tighter we grip, the more domineering we become, and the wider the rift becomes in our relationships. And this is why confession is so essential if healing is to take place. Confession is key to the healing of broken relationships because of the friends it brings along. But to understand this and to get this right, we have to have a clear picture of what confession is. Along the way, somehow in our culture, confession became to be all about me. Confession um, became to be all about I don't feel good about me. I feel like there's something between me and God. I feel wrong for something I did. I feel like there's, there's something bad going on with John, so I'll just confess. I'll get on my knees and confess, God, I'm sorry. And for some reason, confession has become all about guilt relief and clearing our conscience. But when you open up scriptures, that's not what you see at all. When you open up scriptures and you look into the Old Testament, there are three things that accompany confession. And there are reconciliation, restitution, and um, repentance. Repentance. Repentance meaning that you don't do it anymore because you have a true heart change that overflows into a behavior change. It's the heart change that overflows into the behavior change, not the other way around. Then you have reconciliation. As in when you sin against someone else, true confession leads you back to that person to go and make it right. See, true confession is not I'm going to have a secret confession between me and God. No, true confession, real confession is I'm going to tell God I'm sorry, then I'm going to go tell you that I'm sorry. And the same arena in which you sin is the same arena in which you should go and make confession. Listen to what James 5.16 says. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And then restitution. Listen to Numbers 5, 5 through 7 and what it says. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If any other people, men or women, betray the Lord by doing wrong another person, they are guilty. 
they must confess their sin and make full restitution for what they have done, adding an additional 20% and returning it to the person who was wrong. Here's what this thing is saying. It's saying it doesn't stop with it saying, I'm sorry, uh, I didn't mean to, it was a mistake, my bad. No, no, no. God says if we're going to keep relationships going the way they should, if we're going to keep things healthy between people and have peace amongst people, then there has to be some restitution for the wrong that was done. There has to be some effort made to make up for the wrong that was done. Confession is me coming to you or me realizing that I've said something I shouldn't have said. I've stolen. I've hid. I've made some mistake. And then I go, God, I'm really, really sorry about this. And God is saying, I'm glad you're sorry. Now go make this thing right. I'm glad you're sorry. Now go make this thing right. It's not going to be right with me, go, but go make it right with them. Go confess to them. That's the process for healing our broken relationships here on earth. But when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to our vertical relationship, there's only one way. When it comes to our vertical relationships, there's only one way. When it comes to our vertical relationships, there's only one way, and something has to die. Something has to die. And truthfully, the same is true in our earthly relationships. For confession and healing to take place, Often our pride has to die. But when it comes to our relationship with God, there actually has to be the shedding of blood. And here in this passage, an innocent animal lost his life to provide clothing for Adam and Eve. And the clothes that Adam and Eve would wear would be forever a sign of grace in their lives. That animal did nothing to deserve death. It was his caretaker that brought death upon it. For us, that blood was shed in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's his blood that bridges the gap. It's his blood that pays the cost to restore the relationship between a sinful man and a holy God. If you're here this morning and you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, I want to let you know that there's still power in the blood of Christ, to heal broken relationships. If you're willing to confess that you're a sinner and express trust in Christ's death alone as your only, only, your sole resource in having a relationship with the God of the universe. That's what we call stepping across the line of faith. In a second, I'm going to pray giving those who have never had the opportunity to move from blame to confession, to move from relieving guilt to true repentance, to remove from issues with God to forgiveness through Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. There will be no special words, no special order of words, just a prayer of thanks for the gift of his Son. If you've never made that commitment, then I'm going to give you that choice today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We bless you. We thank you for sending your son as a demonstration of what it truly means to have a long and wide view when it comes to the relational rifts in our lives. I pray, Father, that there's someone here that's that's been trying to do enough good deeds, that's been trying to come to enough church services or read enough Bible verses to make up for the rift that exists between them and you. 
that they would totally trust in the work of your son, Jesus Christ. That they would move from death to life. And Father, I pray for those of us who know you and call you our God. And call your son our savior. That your Holy Spirit will move on our hearts so that in our relationships, we will model for all of creation what it means to die to self, to confess our sins, to attempt reconciliation, and to make restitution for the wrong that we have done so that the world sees how your grace and mercy functions. We pray these things in your darling son Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today, and maybe that's the first time that you've made that decision, would you tell us? Would you let us know? You can do so by marking it on your card that you throw in the offering. Or we'll have a prayer team over to this right side of the stage right after service that will talk to you more about that relationship. If you made that step over the line of faith today, then your next step, your first step of obedience to Jesus is baptism or going public with that decision you've made. Baptism is the first step of obedience and the easiest step of obedience for a Christian because Jesus just simply asks you to get wet for him. Here at Fellowship High Crest, we do baptisms the third Sunday of each month. We would love to talk with you and walk beside you as you make that step. Our prayer team can help you with that. For those of you who know Christ, who have gone public, make sure to model the same grace and mercy that we've received in our relationships here on earth.